Thirstburst.org. Good morning, everybody. I was going to have the age-old pastor joke. Uh, this is going to be the best message I've ever preached this year. It's my first message, but I've done two funerals in the past 20, uh, 48 hours, and so technically I've this will be my third message uh, this year. I'm excited about what God has in store. And again, if you did not grab communion, we're going to take communion at the end of the service. So if you want to do it at the end, there, we've got stuff in the corners, communion on the back pub tables, um, to have you prepped and ready. But we're stepping into a, a Sunday morning series called Sunday Morning. It's really that simple. And I feel like the Lord laid upon my heart to really dig down biblically into why do we do what we do? Because I'm here to say that I, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a church, we hold the scriptures in very, very high value. We believe that the Bible is the inspired scriptures, and we we draw life out of the scriptures. We read the scriptures. We encourage you to dive into them. They shape our lives, and we want you to understand how to read them. That's why we preach from them every single Sunday. And many times we ask the question, why do we do what we do on Sundays? It's because it, we draw it out of scripture. And so uh, we're going to encourage you to come every single week and, uh, and help understand why, why we do what we do. Next week, we'll talk about invitation. In two weeks, we're going to speak about worship. Why do we do what we do when it comes to worship? Uh, at the end of this month, uh, we're going to talk about connections, and we're going to have a foster care adoption Sunday. I'm stoked. And then when we get into February, we're going to do a series called Holy, 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 talk about the holiness of God. And I will stop there, or else my wife gets upset because I start talking about all the series, and she feels like I'm breezing through the year. And it's just the way my brain works. So, Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Book of Acts chapter 2. You can't talk about church and not talk about the church in Acts. Um, I, again, I'm thrilled to be with you. We, we weren't here last Sunday. We were celebrating my side of the family Christmas. Um, I can't believe Christmas has kind of come and gone. I'm still bummed that my first time in 13 years having to cancel a Christmas candlelight service. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, the message I had prepped, everything that we had set ready, and I'm like, well, maybe I've got next year's ready. Um, but uh, just bummed, absolutely bummed. Um, and what, what I found, I mean, this is, this is your pastor here. This is how stubborn I am. Churches in our area and around our state were calling their Christmas Eve services canceled like three or four days prior. I held out till Friday. I told my friends, I was going to stand on the top of the church and speak peace be still and somehow chase away every bit of storm, believing maybe, maybe Michigan was going to relent and have a weird moment where it wasn't going to be what they said. So I was bummed, uh, but we look forward to Christmas 2023. That will be Fun. Acts chapter 2 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly they came, a sound, they came from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I realize I put a mint in my mouth, and that doesn't work when I preach. Notice the word Suddenly. Now, as a charismatic, as a, uh, we are a charismatic church, I consider myself Pentecostal. Um, I love talking about the move of the Spirit. Uh, we are a church that believes that the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit was not just reserved for the New Testament church in terms of the Book of Acts church. That the move of the Spirit didn't end when Revelations was penned and the last eye was put on and then that's, that's what 
the Spirit was for. I've had pastors pull me aside. I've had people talk to me and said, I don't believe the Holy Spirit moves like it did in the days of Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and so on. That was for the apostles, and I beg to disagree. The Spirit of God, He is alive, He is the Lord, and He is moving in our midst every single day. Man, well, look at, we started the, good, the new year in a better way. We're actually engaging. This is awesome. Man, we are charismatic. It's okay to be charismatic. I'd rather settle down a crazy horse and resurrect a dead one. Goodness gracious. <laughs> but notice this. We get this word suddenly. That suddenly there came. Suddenly something happened. But that suddenly, we need to connect it to the first part of the scripture, which says, they were all together. There was something that happened in the gathering of the believers together. That when believers gather together, something tremendous takes place. When we get together on Sundays, I want to talk about the gathering today. You're going to hear that word to you're sick to death of it. There's something about the gathering that God has designed, that when the people of God come together, he is right there in the midst of them. The gathering. Now, in the Greek, we get the word ecclesia. The word ecclesia is a Greek word, and the Greek word simply means the gathering of the assemblies. So if you were to ever read the anybody ever read the Septuagint? It's the Greek Old Testament. I want to say if I had any scholars, I'd actually shake in my shoes if, they, if somebody raised their hand. I'm like, wow. That's like, there we go. Shane back here. Uh, we'll have altar calls for liars after the service. I'm kidding. I would not doubt that Shane has read the Septuagint. Um, but when I think about the Septuagint, and you read about the church in terms of like the, the, the Jewish temple, the tabernacle, what you'll actually find is that word ecclesia that we get in the New Testament is actually found in the, also the Old Testament. And over and over and over, you would see the assembly gathered. What did he do? They, the ecclesia, they gathered together. Uh, many times you read it throughout the book of, of Psalms when the, the assembly came together and gathered. In the book of um, first, uh, Corinthians, excuse me, first Chronicles, you've got Jehoshaphat who has got armies that are going to invade and he calls out to the people and the assembly gathered. The ecclesia, the ecclesia in order to call out to God, and God answered. When the church gathers together, God answers, and God is in the midst of them. Well, pastor, this church today, the American church or the modern church, is not the church of how it was in yesteryear. It, true. We're not, we don't meet like the New Testament church does. True. We have a building. They had houses. We have sound systems. They didn't. Pastor, do you think they needed sound systems? I'm here to say, if Paul, the Apostle Paul, had access to a sound system, he would have used it. If Paul had access a car, I'm just going to tell you, he would have used it. Some people, sometimes we're like, the church, the old church, they didn't need technology. You know what? But they would not have ignored it. They would have used it. Would Jesus have tweeted? I believe he would have. Twitter needs to be saved. This is, this is not how church was. It's, it's right. But at the same sense, we can look at what the church is in the Bible, and we can look at and ask ourselves, what should we be doing, and what are we doing, and are we doing it in the way that honors Christ, that actually honors the way that he set it up? 
I've even had people say this, and this is a statement that gets made to me over and over, especially in the modern day of the past two to three years, and the day of what's called deconstruction, where people are deconstructing their faith, they're pulling their faith apart, and I hear this phrase or this sentence a lot, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And now, technically, you're true. Because I have prayed with people on their deathbed. I've held people's hands as they've been passing away. And I've prayed with them. I've led them to the prayer of salvation. And technically, they didn't, weren't ever able to come to church to be saved. But I'm here to say that when it comes to being a Christian, we're going to get into this a little bit later, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you have to be part of a church to live out your Christianity. You have to. Now, I'm not talking about perfect attendance because, I mean, last week we weren't able to be here. We were in Chicago celebrating with my side of the family. Uh, in fact, Ethan spent Sunday, uh, Sunday morning in a cop car. No, my son was not arrested. He was on a ride along. So don't, no, no rumors here. Um, but we weren't in church on Sunday. Pastor, you don't go to church when you're on vacation? This is going to shock some of you. We don't always do that. So I'm not asking for perfect attendance because things happen. Things come up. But what we have to do is we have to reestablish a high value for gathering together as the people of God. We have to reestablish the high value of gathering together. In our home, there's, uh, there's numbers of roles that people play in their homes, um, I don't know what roles, the roles and the relationships of your marriage look like within your home, whose job it is to do what chores or whatever. Um, whenever, when I get home, if Anne has been cleaning that day and she has filled up the garbage, what she does is she opens up the, the, the inside garage door, puts the garbage bag or the second garbage bag down, and she sets it there so that when I pull in, I can take the garbage and I can actually put it into the garbage can. But I don't always do that. I guess some people are like, whoa. And so, like, like last week, I pull in, and there's a, garbage, there's a garbage bag, and in my brain, I'm like, oh, I don't want to walk all the way, the 20 feet over. Oh, I don't want to do that right now. And so I will step over the garbage, and then I'll go in the house, and I'll think to myself, you know, I'm going to go rock climbing tonight. I'll get it. And then I'll get out there, and I'm like, oh. I'll do that when I get home. And it stays there for about two or three days. And then on top of that, you know, it's Christmas, so Amazon packages had been showing up. And so what she does is she will take the empty box, and she sets it on the inside of the garage door. And she sets it there so I can break it down and deal with the boxes. And so by the time we got to garbage day, when everything gets all set out at the curb, I pull up and I realize, and I actually counted... There are two garbage bags sitting there that I have been stepping over for the past, you know, couple days. And there were nine boxes piled up on the outside on either side of the door. Like the spot she normally puts them was too full. She started putting them on the other side, hoping that I'm going to get the hint to actually do my job and take care of the things that are there. Now, I want to teach you a word, and the word is called habituation. And what it means is this. It's a decrease in responsiveness upon repeated exposure to a stimulus. Decrease in responsiveness upon repeated exposure to a stimulus. What does this mean? To, what does this, mean? this means there is something that you used to react to, but because you keep seeing it and visiting it, you become desensitized to. And I'm wondering if that is what's happened to 
the American Sunday morning church is we see it's there and it's no longer the priority. I need to do this that now we just step over it and we go back to doing our life. We see it and it's just, you know, it's, it's something I should do. It's something I should take care of, but I'm going to step over it and I'll do that. I'll take care of it next Sunday. I'll take care of it next Sunday. I'll take care of it the Sunday after that. And what has happened is we have lost the value of the gathering and we're stepping over it in our schedules. And I keep asking, why is it that we step over a Sunday morning experience of gathering together and putting that as a priority within our lives? Why do we do that? Why do we have that proclivity just to say, I'll get to it next Sunday or I'll get to it the following Sunday? Why do we do it? And I wrote this down. Perhaps it's because we no longer expect to experience the presence of God. Is that the reason? Can we do that? Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 16 through 7, Jacob says this. He woke from sleep, and he had this dream that he was in the presence of God, and he saw a ladder. That's why we get the term Jacob's ladder. And he saw angels ascending and descending. And he woke up from the sleep, and he said this. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. I'm here to say it is possible to be in God's presence and not know it. Do you understand that when we gather together, God show, he's already here. He's, we're not waiting for him to show up. He's waiting for us to show up and to acknowledge him. That's what he's waiting for. And I think we've gotten so desensitized. If there's any, 2020 handed us a lot of crud. And perhaps one of the things that it handed us was getting desensitized to the importance of being together in one room. And the importance of not just being together, but the power that happens amongst us. It's like taking coals. And as my pastor growing up used to say, uh, Pastor Joel, my mentor, used to say, let's bring the coals together. We do prayer meetings. He'd say, let's bring the coals together. What happens when you bring coals together? A coal can be warm, but you put it to another coal and to another coal, all of a sudden the heat begins to grow. And there's just something that takes place when God's people come together and we worship together, we pray together, we listen together, we grow together, we commune together, we laugh together, we talk together, we cry together. Something powerful takes place because when we get together... That's when Acts takes place and suddenly a move of God will happen. There is biblical value in us gathering together. Now let me speak to everybody on live stream. I love you so much. I love you. And this is not a guilt trip because we love, we've been doing live stream well before 220. Do you remember we had that little camera that sat in front of me to give like the fish eye view of my face? Lord help us during that moment. But let me just speak a word that is not covered in guilt. The live stream is not meant to be that which sustains us. It's that which gets us through moments. Especially for our shut-ins of those that cannot be here, for those that have gone through sickness. It's, it's not the place to live. It's a place that gets us through a moment so that we can gather together. So why do we value the gather? I'm glad you asked that question. So write this down. I'm going to give you four reasons, biblically, why we gather. I, I love the fact that I just said that, and some of you looked down and started writing. I love note takers. You remember 85% more of what, what you write down. Some of you are like, that's why I didn't take notes in school. Oh, goodness gracious. Why do we value the gathering? Number one, because it's doctrine and not tradition. It is doctrine not tradition. We've got to understand the difference between things that are doctrinal and things that are traditional. 
like, for, so I've been in ministry. I'm coming up on 26 years of ministry in May. 26 years of people putting up with me. And I'm here to say, if there's any war that I've had to fight over and over, it's called the worship war. Because doctrinally, worshiping Jesus is the belief that we hold on to because we get from the beginning to the end. Worship is just what we do as believers because God's presence demands our worship. We were created for worship. It's good to sing and to shout. That is the doctrine, but what we've made is doctrine. We've made styles and songs and groups and instruments. We've made them the doctrine instead of them being the tradition. I have had bands like this morning that have led me into the throne of God that have blessed my heart. And then I have been in a hut in Africa. I've been in a hut in uh, was the Dominican Republic and have had just as powerful services for which there were no instruments whatsoever. Why? Because the doctrine is we worship together, but the tradition, we, we do it differently in different places. And so sometimes we make hymns the doctrine. Listen, I love hymns and there's some hymns that are terrible. Thank you. Somebody agreed down here. There are some contemporary songs that are amazing, and there are some that are terrible, terrible theology. I can give you a handful of them that I'm not going to talk. I could soapbox on that right now. I'm not going to do that this morning. But it's doctrine and tradition. What about baptism? Well, that's all doctrine. Yes. We as a church, we believe in the doctrine of baptism. We, believe, we, we do exactly what Jesus did and what he modeled. And if you have been saved, if you have given your heart to Jesus, you need to be baptized in immersion underneath the water. And so, like, if you've been sprinkled as a child, I'm glad your parents did that for you. I think that's wonderful. But I would really challenge your heart. If you've never been baptized, you should contact us, info at kfirst.org, and sign up to get baptized in water. It is our public profession. We go under the water, showing the death to our sin and we come up alive and brand new, you ought to be baptized. That is doctrine. The tradition, now traditionally, like that little, the ivory tower up there, that little spot, some of you are newer to K-First, that's where our baptismal is at, and then none of y'all could see the people being baptized, especially if they were my height. You're like, you're looking like, man, is there somebody up there? And then so we put cameras up there, and we finally built something, so it puts them down here, which is better for you. It's not good for me, because I end up becoming three times soaked with water by the time I get up to preach. But the doctrine is baptism. The method is the tradition. A good friend of mine, uh, he pastored in in an old country church. He was a youth pastor in an old country church in Arkansas. A very, 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 very conservative church. And he says, our church got rocked when this guy from my biker gang showed up on a Sunday morning. He says, we didn't know what to do with him. But then all of a sudden, he got saved. And he's like, and we didn't know what to do with him. He was, so he was, I just kind of took him underneath my wing, started talking to him. And he says, I heard a lot about baptism. He goes, so I read the Bible. He goes, I want to get baptized like Jesus got baptized. And Randy goes, that's awesome. We'll, we'll fill up the baptismal tank. He goes, baptismal tank? That's not how Jesus did it. And Randy goes, it's, it's February. He goes, I don't care. It's good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. I have to do it how Jesus did it. And so what they did was the church, after Sunday, went out in their winter gear. And the biker and Randy went out, and they got baptized. And they came up out of the water. They're celebrating. And for the next week, I had to bring Randy food because he had strep throat for the entire week at school. Baptism 
We've got not the tradition, it's the doctrine. How it's done, whether it's in a trough like we, we do up there, there, or we do in a pool once a year outside. The goal is to walk as a matter of doctrine. What does this mean for our gathering? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, Not neglecting meeting together as is in the habit of some. It's like, some of you stop meeting, but encourage one another, and all the more as the day drawing near. What's the day? It's the return of Christ. So Jesus is saying, the writer of, of, of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't stop meeting together, and as Jesus, as Jesus is coming back, meet even more. In other words, up your attendance on a Sunday morning. Not just up your attendance, Sign up to be a part of a table. We call small groups in this, in this church a table. We just started, I started, uh, got involved in a brand new table for men. We're talking about biblical masculinity, and there's just a group of three of us that are talking. We're wanting to see that grow, but, but we've got, get this, we've got 20 other tables, 20 other groups that are here. If you want Bible studies, you want fellowship, you want connection, you want prayer, we've got something for everybody. We've never been able to keep this many groups going in my tenure until the last year. Pastor Kevin has done amazing keeping this going. Why do we gather in groups? And why do we come together on Sunday? Because we do it until the Lord is coming. Matthew 12, 30 says this. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whew. There's some tough medicine. If you're purposely not gathering just because you don't think gathering is important whatsoever, Jesus is like, listen, you're not for me. It's time to gather. And again, this isn't just an Old Testament tradition of gathering. This is a New Testament doctrinal issue. I wrote it this way. Gathering isn't something churches do. Gathering shows the essence of who we are. We don't gather just to get together and to listen to me flap my yap for a few minutes. We gather because this is part of the essence of who we are. It's, what are we? We are family. We are what's called the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. When we come together with our giving our time, when we come together and we give of our tithe and our offerings, when we come together and we give our abilities and we serve one another, we become a body. I wrote it this way. We are saved as an individual, but we are saved into the family of God. Like, my salvation, there's something very personal here, but it, it can't be lived out personal. It's got to be lived out in community. I need you, and you need me. And so, I've, again, well, pastor, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I would argue, because I think correct theology says your salvation is between you and God, but living it out is about everybody walking together as a family unit. Well, I don't like everybody at the church. You know what? Well, not everybody likes you either. There are some people in church that are very hard to love. Nobody wanted to amen that one. <laughs> Sometimes I'm very hard to love. But the reality is, we have this personal connection, but it is impossible for us to grow apart from community. We need each other. Number two, why else do we value gathering? Number two, it fosters community and generosity. We value gathering because it fosters community and generosity. My worry is that convenience has robbed us of community. We made so much convenient in the church that it's robbing us of community. Um, 
I shared a few weeks ago that when I turned 18, my, my parents, I grew up in a very conservative home. They let me finally go to the movies. And then I ended up going to the most conservative Assemblies of God Bible College for which they did not allow anybody to go to the movies. In fact, the RAs on our floor from our dorm would drive through the movie theater looking for Central Bible, Coller, Central Bible College parking t- um, stickers on the back of vehicles, write them down and turn them in. I, yeah, they were the Gestapo. They, that's, that was my Bible college. And so what happened was, they re-released and digitally remastered Star Wars. Why would anybody keep me from seeing the digitally remastered Star Wars? And I'm not saying that you should break rules, students and young adults, but I had a moment of weakness. And so I wanted to go see, me and a few of my friends, we wanted to go see Star Wars in the theaters again. And so we couldn't go in Springfield, Missouri, because we knew what our RAs did. And so what we did was we, we looked on a map at places at least an hour and a half away. And do you remember, older adults, you remember calling information? Because we didn't have Google. So we would call up information. Yes, what is a theater in this city? What's the phone number? And so they would give us the name. And we're like, okay. And so then you call the theater because they didn't have a website. And you would call them, and they would say, okay, here's the movie showing. Press 1 for Star Wars. Press 2 for this movie. Press, and when you press the number, then you had to listen to all of the showings of that movie. And if your friend talked to you during that, you had to hit 9 to repeat all of that all over again. Or you had to go get a newspaper of that area and look down to see it's going to be like, what did you grow up in? This is the real world, Generation Z and Millennials. It took work. And not only that, when you went to the theater, you didn't know if there were tickets available. And so you would go there early to get your tickets, and then you would stand in line or go into the arcade, but mostly stand in line, and you just hung out with your friends because it was general admission seating. You want to be one of the first to get in there, and they get into the spot, not in the front row where you're looking like this the entire time. And so you go there, and it was more, you go to the theater, you buy your tickets, you hang out with your friends, and you talk, and you, and you have all this kind of experience. And so I went to see Star Wars, and we, we snuck in a cooler and two pizzas. I am the master manipulator of going to the movies. So we, we literally had a cooler open, we're eating pizzas, and, and we look over, and a two seats down from me, no joke, is one of the staff members from my Bible college. Like, we're good. It's been covered. You millennials and zeers, you look online, that's the movie you want to go to, and then you'll buy a ticket. And then you'll send that ticket to your phone. And, if, and when you walk in, many times, there's nobody even checking tickets. So you walk in, a few minutes before the movie starts, and then you'll go to your seat and you'll sit down, you watch the movie, and you walk out, and you don't ever have to talk to anybody ever. I'm wondering, in the church world, in the church gathering, if we have recognized the price that we have paid for convenience is the absence of community. And we will never have deep relationships if we want everything within the church to be convenient to what we want and how we want everything. We've got to understand, the more convenience we want, and listen, I like conveniences. Don't get me wrong, I don't miss calling on the phone. 
I don't miss buying a, an actual newspaper with, you know, ink and paper and looking up times. I don't miss all of that. I like looking at tickets online. I like doing the, all those type of things. But understand this, that if we want life to be convenient, then we have to understand we will sacrifice community. Because let's be real, the church, Sunday morning stuff is not convenient. It's not. I mean, for some of you, this is your only day off. For many of you, you think this is the only day I work. <laughs> some of you have never vocalized that. you are like, I thought so. I knew it. <laughs> but you got to wake up, get ready, get the kids ready, get them fed, bathed, and then ready. Not reverse. And then you get in the car, and everyone's shouting at each other. Everyone, shut up! We're going to church. And, you, and you're yelling at each other. You're trying to get the right station, and someone's like, well, "So-and-so touched me. Stop touching. We don't touch anybody for the rest of our lives." And you're yelling at each other, like we're pulling in the parking lot. You all better look holy when we walk out of here. Then you get out of the get out of the car. And you're like, "Hey, bless the Lord. It's good to see you. I saw you last year. It's our first Sunday of the year. We're so excited. Well, you know, Jesus was with us last week with Christmas, and Pastor Dave wasn't here, and we don't show up unless Pastor." days here. And then you walk in the church and you're like, oh man, how did we get to be here 10 minutes late? But, but Jesus understands our schedule. And, and understand this. Church was not meant to be convenient. Church was meant to be community. And church is here. That's why I challenge. Be here. This may shock you. Be here before 10 o'clock when it starts. And when it ends, some of you, I go to pray, and listen, I pray with my eyes open. I see when you leave. <laughs> the eyes of Pastor Dave are everywhere. That sounds creepy. Never mind. Strike that from the, from the broadcast. Some of you leave so fast, and you come in, and you come out, and that's great. That's, that's wonderful that you showed up here, and I will never balk at that. I value that. But there's something very beautiful that takes place when we come, when we come together and we are in community. Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had it all in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with gladness and generous hearts. This is such a beautiful portion of Scripture because when they gather together, it wasn't just getting to know each other because some of you think community is only getting to know each other's names, but community is more than just getting to know each other. It's helping to be there for one another. Some of you are miracles in the waiting for somebody's life. And what I mean, why do I mean in the waiting? Because God is ready to use you into somebody else's life, but you've got to make yourself available for other people's lives in order to be used. Six people, that's awesome. I've been serving Jesus a long time. God bless the funeral director yesterday. He's like, you're like 30, right? I'm like, God bless you. I'm 47. That's awesome. 47 years, I've been serving Jesus a long, long, long time since high school. I just, I can't even give you five sermons that have transformed my life. I can't. And I've heard a lot and I've preached a lot. But I can give you five people who've transformed me. When we come together, it's not so Pastor Dave can transform somebody. I can't do that. But when we come together, like when I walk around, 
like listen to listen like the Wilson and Will introducing each, themselves to each other. Listening to people make connections. Miracles take place. And over the past 13 years, almost 14 years of being your pastor, April will be 14, so almost 14 years, some of the greatest miracles I've seen take place in this church has not, they didn't happen on Sundays around the altars or in the prayer room, even though we've seen miracles. We've seen signs and wonders take place. How does that take place? Because we gathered, we worshiped, we called upon the name of the Lord. We've seen people healed. We've seen people delivered. We've seen addicts find freedom. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen all sorts of wonders, wonderful things taking place. But most of, most of, most of the miracles I've heard happened outside. Pastor, my car just pooped out on me. I had no vehicle. I had no money to buy a vehicle. And all of a sudden, somebody from my small group, somebody from my table found out and they had an an old car they were going to get rid of, but they just blessed it and they got it fixed up and it's ready for me and now I've got a car. Pastor, somebody, I don't know how they knew I had a bill that I, I just didn't know how I was going to pay it. I don't know how they did it, how they knew, but they walked up and just handed me something. And I don't know how that took place. You know how that took place? The people got together. The Spirit of God moved suddenly. And because you're together, you know each other, you hear about each other, you are invested in each other, you're looking to be miracles in everybody's lives. We, how do we get to that place? God is the outlet. You're the plug, but there has to be a motion. Of us plugging into God. Number three. Number three. Why do we value? Because the next generation is watching. Why do we value gatherings? Because the next generation is watching. Acts chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Y'all you, got to read the story of Acts chapter 12. It's, it's really a powerful story. The apostle Peter, Simon Peter, he gets arrested. And he is thrown into prison And the church starts praying. And as the church is praying, all of a sudden in the middle of the night, an angel wakes him up and walks him right out of the prison. He thinks he's dreaming the whole time until he's outside the prison. The angel's gone. He's like, oh, this is real. It's really quite humorous and powerful at the same time. And meanwhile, so Peter starts walking over to see the church at the house where they're meeting. And in that house is a young servant girl named Rhoda. Now it says here, Acts chapter 12, verses uh, 12 through 14, when he realized this, when he realized he was free, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, uh, whose other name was Mark, where they were, many were gathered together and they were praying. And he knocked on the door of the gateway and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Again, this is hilarious. Peter was like, hi, I'm free. She's like, he's free. And she just left him there. The older generation prayed. They gathered and they prayed. And this is what's cool. The older generation got together to intercede. The younger generation watches and started activating their faith based upon what the older generation was doing when they gathered. And what activated it? It was watching the prayer. She's like, this is what they're praying for. I'm going to start watching for the answer to that prayer. Yeah, Listen, boomers and Xers, why do we show up to prayer meetings? Why do we lift up our hands and worship? Why do we respond? Why do we respond to the word? Why do we respond to people? It's because there are younger generations watching. And who knows if your faith, with your dedication, with your integrity, with what you put forward, it doesn't show the next generation that God is not just real. He is actively working in our lives. But what the older generation neglects, the younger generations will reject. 
if we neglect our gathering, don't be surprised when younger generations don't want to be here because if we don't value it, I mean, if we don't live it out, how can our kids want to live that out? Our kids ought to see something in us. Well, we paid our dues. I am so sick of that term. Or, I don't serve anymore. I served my time. Church is in prison. Serving in ministry isn't a, is, is not a prison sentence. If that's how you feel, get out of that servant place and serve someplace else. But we're, younger generations are watching us. And they need to see gathering is a priority. Oh, pastor, gathering hasn't been a priority in our family. Um, listen, there's, there's no better time than now to change that. It's the new year. And if you, you want to know whether or not this has been fixed in your home, this is when your kids or maybe even your spouse, they no longer ask, are we going to church tomorrow? We value the gathering. And number four, and lastly, I don't need a keyboard player up here, so I'll shut up. Number four, why do we value the gathering? Because it's a glimpse of heaven on earth. It's a glimpse of heaven on earth. I love the Lord's Prayer. I want you to pray this with me. Can we put that up there? Pray then like this. Would you say this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What is the will of heaven? To have what happens there happen here. Why do we gather? It's so that what is happening up there, we want that to happen here. We want that to happen amongst us. What is up in heaven? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The heaven is where we just got the pure unadulterated, unstopping presence of God. And Jesus taught us to pray in a way that says, what is happening up there, let it happen in here. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. See, our time on this earth is our opportunity to give this world a taste of heaven. And I think where it starts is where we start off the whole week is we experience church to go and to be the church. We taste heaven together in order to give people the taste of heaven. And we can get glimpses of heaven every day with everyday people, with ordinary lives. We can give people the taste of heaven. What do we mean? It's when we get together, we can pray for miracles, and I believe God will show us miracles and give us miracles. We can pray for healing, and I believe that God can and does heal. We can pray for signs and wonders now, and God will give us signs and wonders now. Why? Because His Spirit has not run out of power after all of these years. He has not diminished in His ability. He can still save. He can still redeem. He can still set free. These things happen. What happens in heaven and the freedom and the life and the joy that's there, it can happen today. It can happen now. And it happens when we gather. It happens when we gather. You see, isolation kills, but community conquers. 
And when we come together, I do believe miracles happen. My, my, my charge to you today is do not reduce church to listening to a podcast or watching a live stream. It's so much more than that. It's community. It's worshiping with others. It's praying with others. It's hurting with others. It's serving others. It's being involved in the lives of others. Pastor, you know, I, uh, Pastor, Pastor Dave, I love you, but my pastor is Stephen Furtick. I'm like, awesome. But you, but you live in Kalamazoo. Pastor Craig Rochelle, he's, he's my pastor. I love Craig Rochelle. I wish I had arms as big as Craig Rochelle. I think Craig's a beast and Craig's an awesome guy full of integrity. But, but, but you live in Portage. It's convenient to do that. Gathering together and putting up with me, that ain't convenience. Staying an extra five or ten minutes after church just to meet one new person that you've never met before. It's not convenient to this schedule because other people might beat you to a restaurant. But it will be worth it in the end because I'm here to say, some, some of y'all, I wish you can look into my emails and see some of the responses I've got from people that said, Pastor, I met somebody today and their story transformed my life. Pastor, I met somebody today. They lost somebody like I lost somebody. Pastor, I met somebody today they were healed at one time and they prayed for me and I received healing. These are the messages that I get and none of it happened as a result of my preaching. It happened because we gather together. And when we gather together, that's when the suddenly happens. The suddenly happens. And then I started hearing, Pastor, we were at our table together. We were knitting and all of a sudden someone shared a testimony and it just transformed the moment. We have a knitting table, by the way. We do. Pastor, I, we were together talking about this. We were looking at scripture, and all of a sudden, somebody was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How does this happen? Well, shouldn't this happen on Sundays? No! Well, yes, but no! Lord, let every single day be a Sunday, so to speak. That we would be here to experience heaven on earth so that when wherever we go that we would bring heaven to earth so this morning I could pull everybody up to the altar we're going to do that in a couple weeks but I think the wrong response would be just to come up and pray about it but we're going to do something that kind of brings us together and so would you take your communion elements out I'm going to go grab mine because I forgot mine Today we're going to do something that helps bring us together and reminds us why we gather. It reminds us to do what we do and to be who we're supposed to be. So if you would, would you take out that piece of styrofoam on top? You guys know you've thought that before. And apparently I can't get mine today. nothing like the pressure of a Sunday morning of not being able to open up my own communion 
can I borrow somebody's wafer? <laughs> Baby, could you help me out? That is the most humiliating thing I've done in a long time. I got, I got the cup open. I can't, I can't get the styrofoam. It's not fun to laugh in church. It's one of my biggest criticisms I've ever gotten since being a pastor is we laugh too much. I'm like, this is the wrong church for you. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, he was together with the ones that would launch the ecclesia. And he pulls out what we're doing traditionally with this. Sometimes it's done with bread. Sometimes with crackers. But we've got a doctrine here of communion. Well, we take out something like this that represents the body of Christ. And Jesus has called us to be the body. But for us to be the body, he had to do something. He had to give up his body to be broken. I grew up doing this at my church. Could you grab a hold of that wafer? And when I say that word broken again, would you just, would you break it with me? On the night of his betrayal, he passed, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. Look at us doing that in unity. His body is broken so that we can become the body. Body broken so that our bodies can be healed. A body broken so that whatever is off, if there's disunity in, the, in this body, he can heal that. If there's disunity in this body or in a marriage body or in a family, he can heal that. And so I'm going to pray over you before we take this together. And I believe that God is not just going to heal the K-first body and make us whole and to keep us whole. I'm going to speak healing physically over your bodies, over your marriages, over mentalities and emotions, that this would be the year of the Lord's favor. Someone gave me a word, oh Lord, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Somebody came up and gave me a word. And I told her, this plays along with Thursday morning. Thursday morning, the Holy Spirit spoke into my heart while I was reading my scriptures. And he gave me a word. I, I, I heard it as clear as day. And he said, David, your season for mourning over K-first is done. I have been mourning for almost three years at what I felt 220 robbed us of. I'm here to say mourning is done. And then she walked, she, and this lady gave me this amazing word, this wonderful sister in the Lord. And she said, God gave her the word exponential. So she looked up and said, exponential means an increase that happens more rapid than you thought would happen. And I believe God is ready to increase the gathering. Why? Because heaven wants to come to earth. So my prayer is this. Lord Jesus, heal this body at 5550 Oakland Drive. Heal this congregation. Heal the unity of this body. Heal hearts, God. Heal individuals who have been hurt through things that have happened inside the church or by church people or even by church leadership, Lord. I proclaim this a house of healing in Jesus' name. Lord, I proclaim healing over individuals, Lord, that are here, that are going through physical maladies, physical issues, that are going through anything from cold and flu and COVID to cancer, Lord, to lupus. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to deliver. Lord, I think about the young man we talked about yesterday, God. I speak over Cole. 
who has dealt with cancer in his bloodstream. I speak over this teenager healing in the name of Jesus. It is your blood, your body was broken that we might be made whole. And so today we call down heaven unto earth, asking for miracles, wonders, signs, deliverance, healing, O Lord, done because you laid down your life for us. We proclaim that and we claim that all in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. And that same night, he took a cup. He said, this is the New Testament in my blood. The cup that shows that if it were not for Jesus' blood, none of us could be here to be, to be the ecclesia. There'd be no reason for gathering. But there's a blood that gave us forgiveness, that gave us grace. If you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, this is the perfect time to step in. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, today I trust my life in your hands. We'd say in the church, we put our faith in you. And if you're away from Jesus this morning, I challenge you, give your heart to Christ right now. You're holding that cup. You see the cup and recognize blood was shed for your life, payment for your life, for the forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus, we hold on to this cup as a collective body saying thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love and your care. It's to you, Lord, that we live our lives. And we're able to gather because of the power and the, of the cross and the resurrection and the life that you give. To you be all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Let's take the cup together. Could we stand together? I've gone a little bit longer than I wanted to today, and I apologize for that. But could we do this? 